أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters I hope everyone is doing well and welcome to another episode of our Tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast. In the last episode, we ended here where we talked about how Ali ibn Abi Talib, he used a number of phrases to explain his vulnerability when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In particular, the lines that we discussed were these, Ya ilahi wa sayyidi wa mawlaya wa malika riqi. My master, my God, my Lord, my protector, and the owner of my bondage, the one who owns me. And we talked about the word slavery, what that means in the Islamic context, and also how that relates to the way our relationship is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Moving on, he said, The one who is holding the, he- the hair of my forehead. And we said that this, of course, it sounds a little odd when you translate it in a literal manner. This is more of a saying in Arabic when they wanted to refer to somebody who had control and who had authority over another person. Ya aliman bidurri wa maskanati, ya khabiran bifaqri wa faqati. The one who knows of how difficult my situation is, the one who knows of my poverty and my misery. Ya Rabbi, ya Rabbi, ya Rabbi. Okay. Um, moving on, now he's going to start asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some other things. And these, these, are, these are very beautiful lines in the dua, um, partially because... In the du'a before he was talking about, you know, sins, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiving sins. Now, there are some other requests that are going to come into the picture. And these other requests really show you uh, the type of lifestyle that is considered an ideal lifestyle from the perspective of Ali ibn Abi Talib, right? That's their, that, that was their way of showing um, what you're supposed to aspire towards. It's very beautiful in their seerah when they wanted to show that this is what you should aim for. One way to do that is that they would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that status. So Ali ibn Abi Talib here, he's going to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a number of things. And that is going to teach us that those things are what we should be aiming for. Those are what our standards are supposed to be like. Okay. أَسْأَلُكَ بِحَقِّكَ وَقُدْسِكَ I ask you... By your truth and by your holiness, referring to the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa'adam is sifatika wa asma'ik. And I ask you by the greatest of your attributes and your names, which are pretty much referring to the same thing. A name is a manifestation. It is the it's like a sign that points toward a specific attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by himself, by his attributes, by his names for what? Here's the first of his requests. Ya Allah, I want you to take my day and night and I want you to revive it. I want, I want you to make my day and night lively with your remembrance. Okay, ma'amur, the word ammara, yu'amiru, all of these come from the same root word. It refers to when something flourishes, when you revive something, when you make something lively. Right when something is prosperous, this is where the what the root word of amara or uh, amara I should say comes from, and you have this root word in the verses of the Quran where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is speaking 
of people who are arrogant because they created these great civilizations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them that before you came another group of people, Amaruha or Amaruha Akthara Mimma Amaruha. These guys, they made their land prosperous to the fullest extent. They may have even done it more than you guys are doing. So Amara means when you take something and you bring life to it and it starts to flourish under your authority. So what is the line saying? Ya Allah, I want the moments of my day and night to be lively. I want you to give life to it. Now in the translations you will read, uh, make my day and night inhabited by your remembrance, right? Bring life to the moments of my life through your remembrance. So what we learn from this line of the dua is this, that if I am going through my life and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not there, and it's a situation where um, my life, I'm just, you know, dealing with the normal issues that I have to deal with. I'm not really doing things for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From the Islamic perspective, those moments where I'm living my life and there is no connection between what I'm doing and serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those moments are dead moments. They are moments that don't hold any value. So when you look at our life, right? Maybe someone lives for 50 years, 60 years. I think the average age expectancy is around 80 years of age, right? But many of us may not even get to that point. Some might live even longer. Let's just say 50, 60 years, for example. Um, if someone gets that opportunity to live for 50, 60 years. When he shows up on the day of judgment, right? Is it the fact that he's going to see all 50, 60 years? I mean, maybe not. Because out of those 50, 60 years, if you think about it, he will see the good things that he's done and he will definitely see the bad things that he's done. But all the other stuff that he did that were neither good nor bad, they were just, you know, normal entertainment. Like he was sitting there, he was just entertaining himself, right? And when he was entertaining himself, it's not that he made a connection. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. It's not like he made a connection that even that entertaining, even the game that he was playing, for example, the sports he was doing, the, the working out that he was doing, whatever the case might be. It's not that he made a connection between that and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not like he said, I'm going to do this so that I can serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that I can, you know, take a break, so that I can worship him, for example. It wasn't like that. It was just, just going about his business. These are moments, now regardless of whether they show up on the Day of Judgment or not, these are moments that are dead. Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying, Unless the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there in what we're doing, then essentially that life that you lived, now so for some of us it might be an hour of our time, God forbid for some of us it's like 20 years of the life of this person, right? Where like he was doing things but none of it was with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These moments from his perspective, they're dead. They don't hold any value, right? And they, not, they may not even be terrible either because maybe he wasn't committing a sin. If you're not committing a sin, you're not going to be punished for it. So it just like it just doesn't hold any value, right? It may not even show up in your book of deeds, so to speak. That's what Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying. Now, you might ask, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to have a tasbih with me 24-7. I'm supposed to say, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, 24-7. Is that, is that what, we're, what we are aiming for? And the answer is no, because when you look at Islamic teachings, we are talking about two types of remembrance. We have the type of remembrance where the remembrance is oral, 
you sit there and you recite a certain dhikr and then you have the type of remembrance where it's verbal in the sense that uh, you know you do something right uh, and I, I think verbal may not be the right way to refer to it but it is more based on action right they refer to it as dhikr amali right so I do things and this action is a means of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we live our life Yes, the first form, the verbal or the oral form of dhikr, it may not be, you know, something that applies to most of our life or all of our life. And it may not even be the case that it's even possible for it to apply to our whole life because we have things that we have to take care of, right? But it's the second form of dhikr. It's the second form of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can go beyond the time where you actually have an opportunity to take a tasbih and remind yourself of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the time that you are actually doing dua or the time that you are actually praying, right? This amali dhikr, this amali remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is also a means of his remembrance and a lot of times it is far more powerful as well. And this is the beauty of Islam. This, this point I'm about to make is a very, very key point because a lot of times we have the discussion and we're thinking how Islam and living your life as an as a righteous individual, as someone who wants to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly, how this goes hand in hand with being, for example, a professional. How does it go in hand in hand with working eight to ten hours a day? How does it go hand in hand with taking care of all of the different tasks that you have to take care of on a day-to-day -day basis? The answer is this, this point that I'm about to mention, that in Islam, a lot of the deeds that are just part of your normal day-to-day -day life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has considered them an act of worship. So the only thing you have to do is understand that they can be an act of worship. And when you are doing them, you just make the intention that, Ya Allah, I am doing this because it's important for my life. You know, it's, it's one of the things I have to take care of so that I can then worship you, so that I can provide for my family, so that I can have the, uh, the capabilities available to me and at, at, at my disposal so that I can be the servant that you want me to be. Okay. Now, if you look at it this way, then you find a lot of your time can actually be revived, amura, revived with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Marriage, for example, and it's interesting, uh, Shahid Mutahari, a famous scholar, he has this, uh, he has this, uh, these talks and these lectures on how Islam took the concept of marriage that previously, in in some lifestyles, in some religions, some schools of thought, it was seen as something negative. Um, in some other religions, it wasn't seen necessarily as something holy, and it wasn't seen as something negative either. It was just, you know, neutral. Like it's, you know, forgive me, like as if. You know, if a man or a woman get married to each other and they reproduce, it's just like a need that you have to take care of when you go to the bathroom or you eat food, for example, right? It wasn't something that was praised. And then he talks about how Islam took this act that we would assume it's a worldly act. It's an act that even some would refer to it as an animalistic act, right? How Islam took this and said, listen, this act, if you approach it in the proper manner, and if you do it with the proper intention, it is not only not negative, further, you know, going beyond that, it is also not a neutral deed. It is a positive deed 
it is one of the greatest acts of worship. It's one of the great things that you can do for yourself. So much so that we have those famous ahadith from the Prophet that if you get married, right? Man, man dinihi, he has essentially secured for himself half of his religion. And it's interesting, we have hadith that the one who does it at a young age, he has ahraza thuluthayi dinihi. That he has secured for himself two-thirds of his religion. Right? With the, for the one who gets married at a younger age. So Islam, you see how Islam took something that is seen in a lot of other religions maybe as something that is considered animalistic. right? And of course there is an animalistic you know, aspect to it. There is a natural aspect to it. There is a worldly aspect to the marriage. There's no doubt about that. But Islam said if you approach this in the right manner and you do it because it will keep you away from sin, and, and of course, marriage, there's some bigger things in marriage just than just keeping you away from sin. A, a, a big part of it is just learning how to compromise and sacrifice for another human being. There's a huge uh, element, holy element to marriage, right? And Shaykh Tahiri also talks about that as well, about how marriage, the main idea, the core idea behind it is that it will take a human being from only caring about himself and will have this human being develop a sense of sacrificing for somebody or some other entity, right? You know, in this case, it might be his spouse or his children or her spouse or her children, right? But regardless, if you approach it in the proper manner, Islam said this is not only an animalistic, it's not only is it not an animalistic deed, it is considered a holy deed and you will be rewarded for it, right? That's why we have hadith, for example, that when a young man and woman who are married to one another, when they engage, they're, when, they, when they're intimate with one another, and then of course they have to do the ghusl afterwards, that every drop of water that falls on their body, right, that every drop counts as a hasana for them, right? And we have multiple ahadith about this, how, you know, this deed that they engaged in, this act that they engaged in, although it has a worldly aspect to it, it can be considered a holy deed as well. Making money, providing for your family is another great example. A lot of our time might even be, you know, uh, taken up by building a career, right? Building uh, a, a situation where we can provide for our family. Normally, you would look at it and you would say, well, this is not an act of worship. And yet, in Islam, it is equated in some ahadith as struggling in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fighting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who's providing for his family is like this or that, you know, individual who gives his life in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are normal deeds. You might even look at them and you might call them mundane even, right? Your 8 to 5 job, your 9 to 5 job. Islam said, if you take these and you do it with the right intention, it will become dhikr amali. Now, if you look at your life now from this perspective, now what Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying makes a lot more sense. It doesn't mean every second you have a tasbih in your hand. It means every second you are working for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every second you have a remembrance of Him. I might go to work, but if I'm going to work with this remembrance and with this intention that I'm doing this because I have to provide for myself and for my family. Because if I don't do this, I won't be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? If you're hungry, how are you going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Um, if I do it with that intention, then this becomes dhikr amali. I am remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not with my tongue, rather with my actions. Okay, so this is the first request that Ali ibn Abi Talib has. That you will take the moments of my day, my day and night 
and you will revive them with your remembrance. Even when someone goes to sleep, we have hadith, that the person who goes to sleep, when he goes to sleep with wudu, that this person, while he is asleep, this is considered an act of worship for him. Even if someone doesn't do that, as long as he goes to sleep with the idea that I'm resting because I have to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I can't do that unless I get my sleep, then again, this is considered an act of worship for him. So Islam took these mundane deeds and looked at them from a holy perspective and gave them this holy status if, if they are done with the right intention uh, in mind. Another good example of this, and I'll move on inshallah, is making a believer happy making a brother or sister happy, your wife or husband happy, right? Sometimes I, I joke around and I tell people, I say like, make people happy, make, make the people around you in your life happy, even if it's with a dad joke, right? Even if it's not with your funniest joke, that's not a problem. What's important is that you bring a smile to the face of someone uh, around you. Okay, moving on from that. The second request that he has is that, Ya Allah, and this kind of shows you that this dhikr he was talking about before, this remembrance, it refers to the idea of acting and doing things that would remind you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, that you would make my service continuous for you. You would make it such that I am serving. Okay. Now this kind of gives you more of a feeling that yes, I'm supposed to be doing things consistently. Yes. It's interesting here. It says bikhidmatika. This is refers to a concept that is very key in Islamic teachings. And that is if you want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to serve. You have to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a multitude of ways. Amongst those ways, and some of the greatest ways, is to serve the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the number of ahadith that we have on this topic is truly, and I don't exaggerate when I say this, but it is truly beyond what we could ever cover. There's so a multi multitude of ahadith about this. One of the favorite ones that I have is this. The, the hadith says that whoever, a servant of Allah, as long as he is walking and he's busy trying to solve the problem of a servant, of another servant, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is busy trying to solve his problems. Now, of course, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, solving the problems of his servant only takes a moment, right? But the hadith is emphasizing, it's really showing with this type of a wording that every second that you are working for a servant, you're trying to solve one of the problems that they have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is working for you. Think about that, right? Imagine if a CEO came to you, right, and said, you know what, everything I have, I'm going to put it to work for you. That's a powerful statement. In another hadith we read that Musa alayhi salam, he was speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was having this conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he asked him, he said, Ya Allah, if you had the opportunity to come down on earth and you had the opportunity to live amongst the people, there was one deed you wanted to choose from that you wanted to do. What was it that you would do? What do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to Musa about this? He said, Musa, the one deed I would do if I was living on earth, you know, it's hypothetical talk, of course, right? He said, if I was living on earth, there's one thing I wanted to do is that I would try to solve the problems of the servants of mine. That means the people around me, 
whoever of them I can solve their problems, that's what I would be working for. So when the dua says, وَبِخِدْمَتِكَ مَوْسُولًا I want you to be I want you to make me such that I'm constantly serving you this service worshiping is part of it and then serving other people serving your family serving your relatives husbands and wives serving one another you know how many blessings come out of a husband or a wife that are committed to serving one another this is something that Islam emphasizes so much that yes you can do a whole bunch of charitable work for other people for your relatives outside of the house but the charitable work that you do in the house in the sense of the the work you do for your husband or your wife the service that you provide to your husband or wife and it can be done in so many different ways sometimes it might have a physical aspect it might have an emotional aspect it might have a financial aspect whatever the case is right that service holds so much value that makes the core of this family a strong core and if you don't have that core and the husband and wife are not committed to one another in that manner then of course what happens to this family it starts to disintegrate and when you look at western society i can say this with you know a fair amount of confidence when you look at western society and we talk about all the social problems that we have right a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them have to do with the fact that families are so broken up a lot of them have to do with the idea that when you look at families they've already disintegrated. I mean, how many people do we know around us, right, living, you know, here in America or other countries, anywhere in the Western world? And of course, unfortunately, this is seeping into the Eastern world already and it already has. How many people do we know whose family is not a, f a complete family? Like it's broken up, right? Or even if it's not broken up, it's extremely tumultuous. It's a family where essentially the mother and the father, they, they don't have a good relationship with one another. This affects so many things in the child. And then, of course, you know, we try to solve these problems later on when this child is growing up and he's having different issues, you know, whether it's psychological, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, societal issues, whatever it is that he's dealing with, because the core is not done correctly. Why? Because we have individuals who are not committed to serving one another. When Ali ibn Abi Talib says, This is also one of the forms of serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Moving on, inshallah, in the next episode, he will move on, he will ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some more requests. And the next one is a very beautiful one. He says, Ya Allah, make it such that my actions are accepted by you. Okay, so we're going to have to talk about that. What does it mean when we say, Ya Allah, accept my a'mal? Does it mean that if I pray and I pray correctly, shouldn't it automatically be accepted? So what's the difference between my a'mal being accepted and not? And what is the effect when my a'mal and when my acts of worship are actually accepted? That, inshallah, we will discuss in the next episode. Until then, keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.